0: Welcome back to the WorkGrid folks. I'm your host Rob Ryan. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Someone who's at the forefront of the AI technology revolution that's shaping our world and our products here at WorkGrid Software. Jillian McCann. As you may know, this podcast is part of WorkGrid Software, the leading vendor in guided attention technology that assists organizations to eliminate digital friction within their employee experience. Jillian is the CTO here at WorkGrid, as well as an AWS hero renowned for her expertise in artificial intelligence and machine learning. Her work in the field of AI is not just about cutting edge technology, it's about understanding how this technology can be harnessed to transform the way we work. Her insights have been instrumental in shaping the future of digital workplaces, and today she's here to share her knowledge with us. In this episode, we'll be diving into some of the thought-provoking topics such as what is AI. We'll explore the essence of artificial intelligence, demystifying the complex algorithms and technologies that make it possible. We'll also be discussing how digital workplace and application leads can get started in introducing AI to their employees and their organization. This is where theory meets practice. Jillian will provide actionable insights and steps and strategies for those looking to leverage AI within their organizations, making it accessible and beneficial for all. We'll also touch upon, is AI regulation needed? This is certainly a question on everyone's mind and Jillian will provide her perspective on the balance between innovation, regulation and risk and how we can ensure that AI serves humanity's best interests. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee and get ready for an enlightening conversation with Jillian McCann. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, business leader or just curious about the world of AI, this episode promises to be engaging as informative. Hey, Jillian. Welcome to the WorkGrid. Before we get started, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the work you've been doing over the last few years?
1: Sure, Rob, yes. I'm the co-founder and CTO of WorkGrid Software. I spent the last few years focusing on SaaS cloud architecture and conversational AI in the digital workplace. I'm also an AWS machine learning hero, which is a title awarded by AWS to a small global community of technologists for their expertise and knowledge. And I've twenty 20 years experience, you know, working in software engineering um, and leadership roles. But I must confess, I do love my cloud computing, and I do love chatbots. Hey.
0: Excellent chat AI, LLMs. These terms they, they're everywhere. Certainly this year, it's the year of AI, and in the media, <laughs> and all the SaaS products seem to be peppering them into their product. And you've been playing around with AI for well, ages now. Could you briefly explain to those who may not know, what, what is AI? What are these large language models for our listeners who may not be well familiar with them?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, AI is not a new technology, but it's really the ability for machines or computers to show human-like intelligence in certain tasks. But it has evolved rapidly in the last few years, and that's really down to a couple of things, like the um, range of available uh, digital data. Proliferation of data that's available out there. And also importantly, highly scalable compute capacity. So, with those two things together, we're able to build like more complex um, AI models. So, like all AI, large language models or LLMs are machine learning models, and they've been pre trained on extremely, and I'm sorry, extremely large natural language data sets. So, think billions, if not trillions mm. of words. Um, and that's like the key difference is size and the training data. Like this is access, you know, from scraping the internet, websites, social media platforms, academic sources. So they do understand like a wide, wide range of natural language. And at their core, they're generative AI models. What that means is that they're able to create new content and new ideas of a wide range of media. Like a key part of it is what data scientists find is that by increasing the size of language models. Um, they're more capable of general understanding that has ever been available before. So it allows these models to perform well out of the box across a range of tasks. And it has been compared to like a Swiss army knife of AI. Hmm. Uh, So it's able to, you know, just do a wide range of tasks. But like there is, they only have the knowledge out of the box on the data that they've been trained on. So you may have heard, no oh, chat GPT, it only knows things up to, like, I think it's the end of 2021 or 2022, mm-hmm. just be aware of that. But again, generative AI, the goal of the models is to protect or generate text.
0: Based upon the data sets that they've been trained on. They
1: have, yeah.
0: Gotcha. And that potentially could lead to pros and cons, right? Depending on the type of data a model has been trained on, is that accurate?
1: Yeah, so as I say, so the wide range of knowledge, right? Um, so if you wanted to bring your own data or to understand things maybe specific to your company, mm. you have to think about how you add that in. And what we're seeing is like emerging architectural and product design patterns that are, you mm. know, how do you bring your own content to the model? How do you leverage this? massive, um, model that has been built with, you know, just refining it slightly. Um, and we'll probably get into this, but you you know, you probably heard about, um, prompt engineering and context Mm -hmm. learning and things like that. So there's techniques that are evolving as to how, like lots of people can take advantage of, of these models.
0: Excellent. And how does the training process of an LLM work? Because I imagine if it's scanning across all this data. Well, there's good data, there's bad data, there's biased data, there's colored data. How do, how do you begin to refine that down?
1: To take a step back, so a large language model is a machine learning model. So that there's like a, a cleaning process that happens with the data. Mm. Um, it's just that it's a much faster scale, but but 100%, the data sets that you use um, have to be carefully considered, um, like a, the, the more diverse and wide range of sources that you provide and give just that wider understanding to the model itself. It's trained and it's trained over months. And this is where you know you and I are not going to go train a large language model because we we don't have the infrastructure, we don't have that data. Mm. Um. So so that's like they're often termed now as foundational models. It's like you have this core foundation of which other products and other capabilities can be built. It's just a very interesting area and. It's opening up. I, to my mind, it's democratizing a lot of capabilities um, and, and allowing, you know, not just a small subset of data scientists to bring that sort of technology to the forefront, but you know, a much wider group.
0: If there's one thing you you wish digital workplace owners and application leads as they start to think about AI and LLM, what what would it be? What would be that takeaway to that you want them to know as a basis?
1: I think I think I, I would say how easy it can be to get started with this technology. Mm. You know, it is it is available um, and it can offer out of the box um, a lot of capabilities. So I think that the AI and large language models and, you know, bringing some of this isn't just for super large businesses either. It's, you know, smaller um, as well. Um, so it's not for the elite or, uh, you know, data scientists. It's successful to everybody.
0: That leads to a good consideration, particularly for this audience who are application leads, digital workplace owners, um, advocates, et cetera, where AI can potentially embed itself into the workplace. And we see that almost with every news headline new workplace apps announcing AI or connections, or they're peppering it into their earnings report. Uh, What are some of those ways that you see AI currently being used in the workplace and a bit of the temperature? of cios and where it can create a benefit for them
1: we do see it to see it as you know starting to be embedded in a lot of products i mean i still think we're very early in Mm. in like the the end direction here but the thing that i love seeing is like the ai assistant type technology and how it's you know, a wide range of AI tasks, like summarization or sentiment analysis, translation, Like there's a, there's a whole list, and um, are really just making it into everyday employees, hands and situations. Um, I think that that's really, really powerful. And then the prompt engineering side of things were, you know, with a bit of uh, training and a bit of knowledge, you can really use it as a like an, as i say an assistant like somebody who can help you in your work mm-hmm. um because like think about it as if, if you had somebody sitting beside you who has read the entire contents of the internet <laughs> <laughs> you know like the, like the good and the bad but yes. the knowledge that that could help and help you structure your ideas so i can't like i use it like a bit of a buddy, as mm-hmm. in a am ideas backwards and forwards um helping structure thoughts and um, summarization to me is, is really powerful um, but then just from an engineering background of seeing the code generation and the, the buddies in that sort of space, um, definitely a productivity tool, I think boost in employee productivity. Um, and because I'm interested in conversational interfaces, I think mm. conversational search and just being able to interact and talk to the machine to get what you want. Um, like at the end goal and um, within WorkGrid, you know, the end goal is to answer the questions, get the data and just doing it such a natural language experience that the end user You know, doesn't care. It's so simple that it's magical. Um, Like a lot of technologies happen by the states to make it that. But that Mm -hmm. to me is that, you know, just that true assistant. Um, And I think we're starting to get there with this technology.
0: So you don't feel sentiment that you hear out there that the robots are coming to take our job, to destroy roles. It sounds like your point of view is that this is going to lead to creative destruction, new roles, new jobs, new personas, et cetera. I think,
1: yeah, so I think I'm an optimist at heart, Um, but I like like to think that, so I am realistic as well. So I've worked in engineering Mm. for over 20 years. Uh, My job personally has changed immensely through the use of technology. Uh, Rob, when I started, I was writing Java code in Notepad and I was running a, a command line compiler Oh my so God. I actually had, yeah, oh my God. So people go, oh, tools, or, you know, you're taking away knowledge. It's, it's like, to me, it's it's an assistant, it helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, you know, jobs will change. Some jobs will be made redundant. Some jobs will um, be, you know, a, a new role will evolve. Um, but I think, and I, it would be wrong to say that, you know, this is not going to change because I've seen that in just the, the internet. I remember when somebody showed me Google, like i'm showing you how mm-hmm. old i am with these conversations but as i say the world evolves um, and we evolve with it um i do think that human ingenuity and adaptability um over millennia like just shows that we are capable of shall we say moving with the times so i like to be optimistic i do see it will change rules, it will create new things um but you know i can't predict the future but let's let's think of the best.
0: I like that, the the optimistic outlook. From a product perspective, who's going to win that race?
1: Yeah, so I mean, there is an immense amount of startups, which is super exciting because um, on one hand, you see, you know, maybe people who never thought they could build a product Able to use the technology to help them evolve in that innovation, and that's really mm-hmm. exciting. Um, but I do also say, like, there's a lot of similar startup products. They're all quite, you know, they haven't got their moat, such. And maybe the winner in the short to medium term is those companies who really have a defined and established customer base and a product market fit, and they really understand their user needs, and they can understand how the AI capabilities are now readily available. Can help their existing customer base. So I just like I think maybe in the shorter medium term that it's maybe more of those incumbent companies. Mm. Um, and and the other thing that they may have is a clear policy around data and security and privacy already in place that they would extend to cover more AI use cases. Um, where potentially something just started hasn't even thought that far ahead. So it's just I think a balance. Um, but overall those and this is the thing that those who can deliver a great user experience
0: mm. um
1: i think and are able to internalize you are using like their customer is able to use their own data to improve the models i think would be, would be very um helpful but we see the explosion chatbots. um and we've worked in this space for you know many years um and it's when you're presented with the box of a chat and it's like that's all there is, it's like, what do you do? And like, mm. how do you know how to use this thing? So there's like key design paradigms that exist within conversational interfaces that we shouldn't throw away. You know, about discoverability. Um, it's not all we just a chat, you know, where just forms and buttons and different mediums and modalities fit within the experience. So I just think maybe companies in this space already are able to quickly leverage the technology which is available to everybody can maybe um have a have a foot that's i would say short to medium term
0: what about the tool builders those putting together these experiences
1: tool builders people who enable others to build the ai products um and we we look at you know workgrid and our workshop and, and that's some of the ideas there that you know just to enable others to bring their own models to craft new Experiences using AI and connecting to different systems is like if you're able to give those tools to other companies and uh, to build experiences, I think that that's definitely an area that will evolve as well. Um, longer term, I think all bets are off. Right? Really? All bets are off. Yeah, who's going to win? Um, it's like I like to think those with the imagination, to think beyond mm. what's like what we have today, what's available today. I mean, just something that seems magical to people from a consumer perspective, I think would be really like the Jarvis of the world, you know, that sort of just wow moment. Um, But I'd love to see real scientific breakthroughs and medical and educational advancements and, you know, open up the world of knowledge. I'm very keen on education uh, is, the, you know, I think coming from a very small country, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously, like I'm coming from Ireland, Northern Ireland, tiny, tiny in comparison to the world of the United States that you're in. It's just like, you know, being able to um, advance education um, in different areas of the world, I think, would be something that I'd love to see, some amazing products being built around that.
0: Incredible access and, and reach and opportunity for yeah. for those who have the tools available to them. Yeah, 100%. How can employers and employees begin to look at upskilling themselves to work along alongside AI? How should they be thinking about beginning to integrate this into their culture of collaboration and the digital workplace?
1: Yeah. So I think, I mean, really from a, an employer perspective and like, you know, how do you integrate AI into workflows? Is really, you know, take a step back. Where's your pain points? Um, mm. Where are the areas that you think AI could really assist? Um, it's not just about throwing AI at your employees. It's, it's trying to think through those use cases. Um, and, and then I think, once you have that, and involve the employee um, in that, and you know whether it's focus groups or understanding how they can improve the employee experience itself, um, coming up with those different use cases, and then I think pilot implementations. Um, you know, let's not just open it up to everybody. Maybe small stage rollouts, build different experiences, and experiment very quickly, just to understand where you may think the AI would be great here, but actually the employee find it much more helpful in this other area. Uh, and it's just some of those things like summarization or like a content generation helps you structure some, you know, for content, um, like blogs and, you know, just various things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I think trying to identify those use cases first um, is, is key. And um, just have a, a, like a strategy around it. Um, be realistic. I'll other thing. Be realistic about what the outcomes could be here. Um, and as I say, involve the employee, get that feedback. Um, And that's just standard, you know, as you build employee experiences, um, that 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 should be taken into consideration. And, you know, if it is something that we're going to open up and allow, allow is maybe the wrong word, enable, enable um, employees to, you know, experiment with prompt engineering and things like that, like, like have some sort of structured training and learning process involved.
0: That makes sense. So, Jillian, we keep hearing about the need for AI regulation. You hear that in... Bits and phrases on social media was rolled out. There's free for all, which became really a race down the brainstem, leading to what we see: attention issues, wellness, distractions. AI is being seen as that that threat to the working class. So you hear that call for regulation, that call for temperament. And cynics would say, "Well, this is just really for technology capture for the larger players to be able to regulate." to their advantage. What are some of your thoughts there in terms of regulation, temperament and the speed to growing with AI?
1: Yeah, I mean, when we think about regulation, um, I think we need to really understand, well, what, what are we regulating? Like what mm-hmm. are the, the core concepts here? And, and that's where you, you, know, you start to hear things about responsible AI and ethical AI and things like that. So just to touch on that, things around what is what sort of data sets are being used what sort of bias may exist in these models um who's accountable for you know if your ai for whatever reason suggests something um that could cause harm who's responsible for that is it the model is it the developers who build something on top i think data data and privacy so there's like a wide range of like areas that when you when you look at um ai providers they usually have a responsible ai policy mm. um, and i think it's like is regulation then it should be a consistent policy and everybody should be able to talk to each of these points about fairness transparency so I do think there is a level of regulation or standards that you know different companies should be held to potentially as you're buying an AI product there's a consistent set of questions that you answer and just controls that are in place that assured. Now whether that is like a regulatory framework, I don't believe it's statutory legislation. I did spend the time reading the UK government policy on this um recently. Oh, wow. No, I was just interested to see because again you hear a lot about it, but what actually is being suggested. So they're very much yeah. on the statutory legislation. Um it's it's far too slow, you know, to go through the courts that, that the 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 speed of the technology and things like that. So, you know, definitely not an approach that's being taken, but how can we use regulatory frameworks and things that already exist? And um, was something that they were pointing out, but again, t- touching on fairness and privacy and just being able to answer these questions from a from a product perspective, I think is mm. the starting point. Um, but they were also sort of talking about really do not want to put the burden on the small company you know, to your point, to your point of, yeah, okay, we have done this, now we're going to come up with, I'm not going to name names, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to come up with um, like a whole load of regulatory uh, things that we know we can already meet, whereas a smaller companies maybe struggle. I think it's going to be a growing area. I think something is needed, but um, I'm going to say I'm not the lawyer here, but the, the thing is, I actually do have a law degree, so... <laughs> It's just, a, it's just 20 years old, so it's not in this space. It's just very interesting, and we'll have to see how it goes. But the one thing I was thinking about this is how do you, so we can regulate and we get a framework, but who's going to regulate bad actors? You're never going to mm. be able to, you know, how do you control that? I think that would be more my worry.
0: The concept of AI transparency, I'd like to understand that a bit more. Why is that that's so important?
1: What it means is that the processes and logic really within a system are understandable and explainable. Like AI can be applied in a wide, wide range of things. Sure. Um, But it's this is like if you can't explain it, how can we trust it? How can we, um, as a, a society, you know, would we want to put our trust in systems like that? Leads to distrust and you know our reluctance to use AI. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's things like again, to touch on like data sets and how's it being trained and what's your algorithms being used. So like that's there's a push for, you know, explainable, really explain how things are working. But then on the other side, um, we have proprietary intellectual information. So like um, OpenAI, for example, like the data sets, and that's not open source. You know, we don't know all the data sets that they have put the effort into gathering, whereas, you know, you've open source models, which are, you know, it's more visible and things like that. So I think getting that balance, right, again, to the legislation or the the regulatory framework, you know, are they going to insist that it is open and you do share? Um, But that's the kind of thing, just to make it easily understood how the AI came to the decision that it made.
0: Absolutely. So that's clear and understanding, hey, how is the logic being brought out, the data set that it potentially is being trained on so that the user can feel, I guess, confident in the responses that they're receiving back. Is is that what I'm hearing?
1: Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of research going into this as well. You know, how can you determine which data sets are, you know, making the most impact on the responses Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it's it's a whole area of research um, about how you can you, once you've built this black box of Technology, how how can you get into the inner workings of it and really understand? And um, so like that research is evolving quickly as well. It's really about being able to understand um work where, where the answers come from.
0: Excellent. You touched upon deployment of AI within digital workplaces, really taking that crawl, walk, run approach and looking at quick, low-hanging fruit use cases so that they can see the employees and the management can really see the value of AI in the workplace acting as that assistant. I'd like to hear your perspective, sure, the future of AI and LLMs within the digital workplace. What do we see over the next year, next two years, five years, etc.
1: Yeah, I think we're we're going to see, as I say, a lot more of I call it everyday AI, you know, hmm. just be, just be readily available to people. You know, you need to summarize Summarize an article, you just, you know, in your assistant, you're just saying, can you summarize that for me to bullet points? Can you draft a blog or help me make the case for this? And it's mm. the combination of, um, you know, bringing your own knowledge, bringing the knowledge of the model and, and bringing it together and reviewing it and things like that. So I think like the assistant side of things is just going to continue to grow. And um, the other area, well, it's the same area. It's an extension of as really we hear a lot about AI agents. So I don't Hmm. know that terminology. People have heard that. That is essentially a super high level is a chatbot that uses a large language model. So it's a conversational interface that uses a large language model to make decisions and, you know, essentially perform actions. You know, we're going to see, I think, more and more seamless interactivity with third party systems that potentially your assistant can generate content for you. It can um, submit requests for you. It can... uh, like look up thing, you know, there's just, just a whole range more and more and more um, like 20, 30, 40 systems I could talk to you. And that's like, to me, kind of exciting that you are ultimately getting this one conversation interface who can do many, many things um, in your, in your daily work. So, I mean, I love that. And I know I mentioned Jarvis stuff. I think I mentioned Jarvis before. <laughs> I just love that idea of, you know, that is assi- like a true assistant. Yeah. Um, and you can talk to, um, so how we interact with machines, I think, is definitely gonna improve and change.
0: What about the role of the employee as a builder of AI and experiences?
1: The side of the like the builder, as I'm a builder, I build things. Um, that's changing. More people should become builders because if we can make it easier and more seamless, if you could explain what you want. That we can use some of the generative AI capabilities and the code generation things like that to actually enable those like ideas and use cases that may not come from areas of the employee that would have built them in, in the past. You know, so I just I just think it's going to be interesting times. Um, and I think you know, going forward, just that stage rollout and have an idea of like your where you want to go over the next few years, but you know, start small and incrementally add. And the various use cases and and see the value from them I think would definitely be a recommendation
0: and you've been building some of those advancements over the last few years at WorkGrid where the stance is more proactive in being where the user happens to be as opposed to being a blank bar on a page I feel like there's a there's a trust factor involved there where you can you can only get that assistant right so many times. It has to provide you with some sort of value or you're just going to see it as, well, it's an empty text box that's just sitting there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the position at WorkGrid, as you know, is um, so it's like different types of interactivity. You know, you should be able to ask for information, but also you should be able to receive information from the systems as well. Um, So it's like a push and pull. um, Definitely is something that, like i think is really important um and ultimately like a good natural language system which is what we're talking about should I mean super high level should be able to answer questions um and those questions the answers can exist in a wide range of systems um it could be a search based system it could be a Salesforce, force it, it, it just could be a wide range but to the end user they don't care they just want the answer so being able to interact seamlessly with multiple systems, and um, but also have those multiple systems interact seamlessly with the end client, um, provide weekly reports, and you know nudges and, and things for activity. So it's like a push and pull of data, um, and as as you rightly say, yeah, uh, it is both. Um, and Workgrid we have focused on both, um, whereas you know you are seeing you know newer chatbots bots, it really just a one way integration. Um, but definitely, I think the whole assistant space is going to evolve rapidly.
0: Yeah, it'll have to collapse because I don't think anyone really wants the, the League of Nations bot where you're constantly having to ask, you know, bot A for one thing, bot B for another, bot C, and just, you know, you're going to get lost in bots. That's effectively what search is nowadays.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is that seamless. And not to touch on, like, you know. The magical experience you just want to simply interact um the end user the employee doesn't care what system it is mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so it's just trying to deliver that and um, so I think user experience is very important as well as the underlying technology and really thinking through um you know as I sort of mentioned discoverability and understanding what's available and um like when to bring you the data to the to the chatbot um i just think having clear um, a structured approach to it um, mm. is, is much is much easier maybe to start with um, than having a wide range and open box assistance, as we sort of talked about.
0: So really looking across your digital workplace, understanding its vision, and then aligning key use cases to begin to introduce those intelligent chat interfaces within the workplace so that you can begin to see success early. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, and you can even focus in you know, a specific line of business or something, mm. yeah, you know, domain, like IT help desk and things like that. It's just like, you know, have a think about where it would make sense to start. Um, You know, and then also, I think in combination with that is maybe some of the delighters or the, the. the, the, I mean, I love summarization, the ability to summarize, you know, content that you, you know, summarize this into five bullet points for me. I just (laughs) think that is pretty, pretty powerful. And like things like that, opening um, lighter weight use cases to all employees um, while you work out on some more complex, I think has a place as well.
0: I had that happen to me just recently. My daughter had a question. I didn't have the answer. And she told me to go ask ChatGPT. And uh, there there was a pain in my heart at that very moment, both myself not having the answer and two, the the fact that she knows I should go ask a computer. Yeah, I, I love that term, hallucinations. It's coming up with things that aren't accurate. I I had that when I was looking for some news articles and I was connected into, I'm not going to name names, but uh, one of the public models out there. And then I went looking. I went looking for the actual sources of the articles in the news, could not find anything out there. So it was making up an acquisition of a particular company with an amount and uh, lo and behold, did not exist. It was amazing yeah fairy tales so, if you will
1: so the thing is it's doing its job really really well so it's not mm. a mistake it is a generative ai model its role and job is to generate text right <laughs> so it does that it you know so that's where the prompt engineering and the like providing context and guardrails within that and um, to refine the responses um that, that's really where that comes in is that, and that's when we say prompt engineering is it's, it's like zero inference you're or and we can provide examples and things so there is a whole world there of understanding how that works but mm. i mean it super high level like it is actually doing what it says in the tin generative ai just it's not what doing
0: people want yeah
1: <laughs> it's not what people want whereas like you know so yeah so just like thinking of like you know it's important then when you bring data specific to your company or digital workplaces, you know, you get citations, you get links back to documents, you know, mm. you understand where this came from. Uh, but also importantly from a design principle is you are clear that generative AI is being used. I mean, that is a core design principle for chatbots really is you don't pretend you're human. You don't pretend you're not using this type of technology. You're very uh. clear on it um and the limitations and things like that are are up front people are more forgiven when they know it's technology versus as i like to say a stupid human
0: because
1: <laughs> yeah
0: excellent so jillian when we reached the uh the lightning round portion which is really uh a few quick questions <laughs> this is the easy bit uh personal oh, questions for yourself. But I I did not know that you had a law degree. What made you give up law and start coding?
1: So this, I don't know if people think I'm funny or not. But I thought it was really boring. Ah.
0: <laughs>
1: so I did I did um so university here, I mean you make your decision um when you're seventeen um, and you do things called i level. So I just did them and I'm like, oh I got good grades, I'll do a law degree. I just I just <laughs> I just a, I law and politics actually. Yeah. um so i did it and then the first year i'm like oh this is i just i find it boring yeah. um contract law and things like that and then people may think oh she's a software engineer at heart is she trying to have a laugh but to me software engineering is such a creative role um it's been so creative to for me over the last twenty odd years the ability to build and see things in real time I think that's the wow moment for me was I can do this and I can build it and I can see it run on a computer um versus the law which was a lot more drawn out uh, a lot of reading and stuff um but yeah that's that's kind of just one thing so I did a master's in IT and yeah here I am
0: what was your first wow moment when you created something? Was there anything that you think back to, you know, years back or even r- more recently that you, you put together, you built and you were like, wow, that is, that is cool. Uh,
1: that is cool. So the very first, I'll go to the very first thing I programmed was, um, and this is, this is a true story. So I, I did do programming when I was 16. Um, and this shows you the evolution of technology is from a PC mag, like a magazine i typed oh, yeah. out um Pong as in you know the the wee the game and i did that like it me i just i didn't really know what i was doing and I, did it, and I was just like wow look at that um and then the next one was in the masters where i programmed a like a and you're gonna laugh like a website <laughs> but it was like a 1990s website you know what i mean oh the, yeah the blinking lights and you not know, like all that stuff so i suppose it was like those moments of like this is I think that's what I'm getting at is from the law and this is that it was more instantaneous I could see it I, I built that um but like come, coming forward a good few years now I do think the chatbots and the AI um, and building good conversation experiences um it's just always I just think it's so smart and I think voice interfaces are, are also real I built um a few things from for voice and the ability to just talk to a machine and get it to do what it wants. so it's just I think that that blew my mind a wee bit um and I do think and I am saying this like the the large language models and and what we've been doing on Workgrid and you know AI agents and things like that that is, this is game changer technology um and I have seen a, quite a few game changer technologies over time but to me this was this was a wild moment um, I, I do believe that and I think more people have opportunity to experience and use it, we'll probably agree.
0: Excellent. It, it absolutely is game-changer technology. Jillian, thank you for coming onto the podcast today. Great sharing your perspective on AI and the future of the workplace. We appreciate your time.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.